kind of being bold and if you don't ask for something or if you don't go after something it's not going to happen nothing's going to come to you so i think i constantly am telling myself like go for it like i never thought i'd get a job working for an australian football team or i never thought i'd be in new york like i think i just keep reminding myself like be bold Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports and media, disruption, innovation, career paths, all kinds of things. I'm Joe Favorito, back with my co-host, Tom Richardson. Tom, welcome back once again. How are you, Joe? Um, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been together. Lots to talk about in the biz. We have an interesting guest, Always. but let's, let's spend a minute or two on what's happening right now. What's your assessment of March Madness? And well, um, just b- both on the on the court front, but also on the NIL front, because there's been some interesting stuff that has happened yeah. the last uh, week or two. By the way, even bigger than that, I found out where North Montenegro was, which I didn't even know was a country <laughs> until they beat Italy. So No, um, North Macedonia. I thought North Macedonia. Yeah, That's come right. on. North Montenegro get, 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 next week in your country's great. Please. So. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, yeah. it was an interesting one from, from yesterday, although everybody yeah. will be listening to this a week after, I guess. Yeah, anyway, but, what do you, but what do you think has been going on in, with the, uh, the obsession in America of March Madness? Um, I think one of the more ridiculous obsessions is the fact that the NCA will refuses to acknowledge that gambling goes on around March Madness, yet um, for the Sweet 16, no, for the, the second round on Sunday, I went to find True TV, which I did. Luckily, I found True TV again. And the lead-in to the first game on Sunday was five sports gambling commercials. Yeah. No. So yeah. it doesn't happen. As soon as the ball went up, poof, gambling disappears. So. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, the gambling uh, stuff's ubiquitous. The amount of shoulder programming yeah. coupled with all the ads. I mean, it's, it's kind of endless right now. And you're seeing now some of the strain I think we talked about the fact that we, you know, in the fourth quarter earnings report of DraftKings, we found out they lost a billion and a half dollars in 2021. There's a story this week about Foxbet having trouble with their tech stack uh, following through because obviously if they're going to compete for the users, they have to have great technology. That's a given. So it sounds like, um, yeah, there's, there's kind of this cognitive distance on this whole topic right now in so many different ways. And it does relate to NIL, which has been at the forefront because of the college stuff with basketball, especially. What I found interesting to note, Joe, did you see the report put out by, I think, Influencer or was it Open Doors about the NIL activity in the first six months? Can you name the top three sports represented in NIL transactions? I didn't see the report. Ooh, but I scooped you on this. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to guess by the, by your kind of, uh, so it obviously was not football, basketball and lacrosse. I don't know. Who uh, no. So it was, it was football yeah. number one by a pretty wide margin. I forget the percentage, but you know, into the, I don't know, I want to say 40 plus percent mm-hmm. number two category was women's basketball. Yeah, I could see that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paige Becker's deal didn't hurt Mm -hmm. the the calculation because that was a a great deal that she made for herself. And Connecticut's still alive, as you probably know, in the the women's tournament, which is great. Uh, And then the third was men's basketball. And then Mm -hmm. it drops off to everything else. But I think women's sports ended up being in the top 
excuse me, were three of the top five, which was really mm. awesome. Like I think I think women's volleyball might have been in top five or something like that. So that was an interesting barometer reading of where this is and might be going. But uh, my biggest takeaway was that um, it, it's kind of miraculous and, and I think really wonderful that women's basketball came in number two. I don't think anybody would have predicted that a year ago or six months ago. Well, I'm just happy that the mustache guy from St. Peter's got, a, got two ideas <laughs> because, you know, by the time everybody's going to listen to this, they'll probably either be toasting St. Peter's on their way to the final four or being back in Jersey city saying, let's go get some pizza because, yeah. um, you know, but it's been great. I, I think that they are the most, there was a story in um, that Steve Politi wrote about how they are, they are the biggest Cinderella ever for a number right. of reasons. One of which is they're a landlocked school in Jersey city versus the other three schools, 15 and 16 seeds that pulled off big upsets, UMBC, Florida Gulf coast and um, Oral Roberts, because, you know, those were all land grant schools trying to figure out how to build new buildings. St. Peter's ain't building new buildings anywhere. They're, you know, they're, they're, they are who they are on Kennedy Boulevard. And, uh, you know, the Jesuit University of New Jersey did very well. I would imagine most of those guys are going to transfer from, according to a story that I read in the New York Times this morning, they'll enter the portal um, sometime pretty soon and, and, you know, good luck to them. But it's been, uh, it's been a fun story. Hoosier-like, I think. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, the rest of March Madness, both on the men's and the women's side, has done extremely well. And it's great to actually be back to what it was amazingly three years ago, because yeah, there really hasn't been what, right. what the tournament was. There was no tournament two years ago, and last year was in a bubble. So, so, so yeah. You made a reference a minute ago that, that uh, reminded me of a funny tweet I saw the other day, or it was last week before the full March Madness started. Um, it was like, March, that time of the year where we, where we have the annual tradition of trying to find true TV. Yes, <laughs> uh, one, of, one of the consistent complaints on Twitter mm -hmm. and sports business Twitter, of course, has been people complaining about the fragmentation mm -hmm. of games yeah. in general, particularly, I would say, soccer. Uh, it's, it's, I don't think if you have pay TV, it's not as bad with March Madness because, you know, there's four, there's four channels, basically. Uh, but this came up last night as I was watching on CBS Sports Network, the qualifying game, Mexico, U.S. Men's mm -hmm. National Team. Uh, I was on following the hashtag for the game. And so many people were complaining about two things. Why are they putting this on Paramount Plus? Happened to be on CBS Sports Network. Mm -hmm. And is anybody else having tech uh, problems, streaming problems with Paramount mm -hmm. Plus? Apparently there was a lot of skipping going on and mm -hmm. buffering. And I was kind of smiling to myself thinking, oh my God, I, I hope our industry leaders know what they're doing here with this fragmentation. It just still seems to be a real problem because if, if it's not ultimately good and easy experience for people, it's just gonna be tough to, to keep retaining audience. Yep, and I, I've heard a similar, actually on Twitter, I haven't watched it, but during the NWSL Challenge Cup, the same problem with Paramount Plus, a lot of complaints about the streaming value. Yeah. So, um, you know, one other thing, Tom, we would be remiss and their season will be over because they will have either won the WNIT championship or been eliminated by this point. But storm the court on Thursday night at Levy and Jim for a women's basketball game. Amazing. <laughs> Congratulations to so many of our alums, but also so many of our current students who are involved with Megan Griffith and the program uh, with with. Um, the Columbia women's basketball team now, you know, beating Boston College coming from 17 down, 
Uh, by the time everybody has listened to it, they would have already played Seton Hall on Monday night uh, in the gym again, which would be amazing. Um, but the, the video of, the, of fans storming the court last night uh, on Thursday night was, was pretty amazing and just great for everyone involved with the program from Peter Pilling on down. Yeah, I regret that I wasn't there in person. I don't believe you were either. I, no. I, uh, but, but I did see the video, and it's really just a, it's a, it's a great video. It's just such yeah. a nice, a nice. So scene. happy for those guys. Um, and by the way, for for those of you listening who are aficionados of the Cusp Show, you may recall that Joe and I did a deep dive into the Columbia Women's Basketball Program about yeah. I think it was 2017, Joe, when Meg yeah. was new. And yep. uh, we got to talk to her a bunch of times and a bunch of the players. So if anybody's really serious about this podcast, they can go back and listen to, to those episodes from, from five years ago. And um, by the way, one more to listen to, Tom, is about Moneyblade with our Columbia fencing coach. Now, by the time, again, by the time people listen to this, they will have probably won multiple NCAA titles this weekend uh, right. as they sent them next. But we yeah. did a great one with Michael talking about, you know, Money Blade and how he came up with his idea and his unique coaching abilities as well. So. I, I barely know him because I only met him a couple of times, mainly mm -hmm. through the podcast. Mm -hmm. And he's in the, he's in the program, which I don't I, I think we've yeah. mentioned, which is nice. Um, yeah. But I love that guy. Like he, I, Michael I, love, yep. I love his philosophy and what he's mm -hmm. done at Columbia with fencing is uh, amazing. So yep. good for him. I hope they end up winning it all. By the way, quick question on the women's stuff. They have this game Monday night um, against who again? Who was Seton Hall? Seton Hall. And is that the semifinal or the final? No, that's that's the uh, the elite eight, and then the semifinals and finals are after that. Uh, okay, so, so they they would need to win three more games, I guess. Yeah, three more games, and and okay. and now like St. Peter's, they're getting into after you get past Seton Hall, it's big name schools. Yeah, Texas. And right. Well, so, hope anyway. springs eternal. Yes. Anyway, so let's talk about uh, in the other part of the world right now where it's fall, not spring, um, because we have a guest today, Tom, uh, who's in our program. Also, we keep saying in the program. I don't know what that means. It sounds like you know, something <laughs> in the Columbia actually... Sports Management Program. Let's say yeah. that one. Um, but I, I was talking to our guest uh, earlier this week and and. She started telling me about the circuitous path to sports that she got to. Um, and not only did she get to a path and a, a start of a career in sports before she came to us, but she did it in, of all places, Australia. And I found that tremendously interesting, especially since we really haven't talked much about Australian sports and sports culture. You know, even when we've had Nicole Hogan on, we talk more about her, uh, her time with the Islanders and in, in the States versus Australia. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, Morgan Randolph's got an interesting path and, and we can't wait to have her kind of tell the story of how she went from small college in New England, ending up in Australia, not looking at sports and suddenly getting sucked into the business of sports and uh, working for a pretty unique property uh, before she came back to us here. So Morgan, welcome to the Cusp Show. Thanks for having me all. I'm excited to chat to you guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Morgan, Joe mentioned the small college in New England, Middlebury. Um, why don't you just share that story coming out of Middlebury? Because I'm, as a, as a fellow liberal arts, small liberal arts college graduate, it's always interesting to hear how those individuals who didn't necessarily study business or prepare for anything specific, unless you're a pre-med or something like that, find their way into their uh, career, uh, career journeys. 
How did that happen coming out of Middlebury mm -hmm. uh, as you thought about what you might want to do? Yeah, definitely. So um, I went to college in Middlebury, Vermont, like you said, so super small town, middle of nowhere, Vermont. I think there was more cows than there were people there. Um, and I studied sociology and anthropology. Um, and I played sports, but that was never in the forefront of my mind. I was talking to someone recently. I was like, if I told myself like six, seven years ago that I was in sports, I wouldn't believe it. Um, so I was studying sociology, anthropology. I was really passionate about um, environmental issues um, and was thinking about wanting to work in the not-for-profit environmental space. Um, and so in college was studying a bunch of different things, like you said, Tom, like I wasn't vocationally trained, um, sociology and anthropology, not known for its high employment rates after college. <laughs> right. right. Um, not too so, many uh, recruiters coming to campus when you're a senior, I guess. Yeah, not quite the same as some of my friends who said business or marketing. Yeah. Um, it's all the banks, the banks coming to these campuses. That was the exactly. Um, but yeah, I was working for a not-for-profit when I was an undergrad. Um, and when I graduated, I worked for a little bit leading outdoor mountaineering trips in Alaska and then pivoted and started looking for more stable work where I could be a little more grounded in a location. Um, and so I was exclusively looking at not-for-profits, found one in Melbourne, Australia, that was called The Huddle, um, an amazing organization. They work with migrant and refugee youths who moved from all over the place, but when I was there, there was a lot of South Sudanese um, and other parts of Africa moving to Melbourne and specifically North Melbourne area. And I was working, gonna work with them. So I moved, um, I'd only been to Australia once before then, up and moved uh, a couple months after graduating from Middlebury um, and made my way very far from home um, to Australia to work for the not-for-profit. How'd um, you even do the interview? You did obviously via, uh, via Skype or something like that? Yeah, it was via yeah. Skype. So I'm like, now it's a lot more normal. But I do remember sitting at my kitchen table and I had like a button down top and was still wearing like my sweatpants <laughs> and bottom. And I remember I had to wake up at an odd time because of the time change right. as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, never had met any of the people I was going to be working with. Um, definitely had trouble with the strong Australian accents on the interview. Um, but yeah, just sounded like a great opportunity. So I moved to work for the huddle. Um, and the job that I got, I was doing their comms, media, and PR, um, but it was a super small organization. Uh, so I was also dabbling with the marketing and website design. So it's my first real job out of college, um, flew halfway around the world to do um, something that I wasn't vocationally trained, but that Middlebury had prepared me really well to do and that my writing and um, mm. critical thinking, I think set me up for success. So sociology might, you know, interesting. <laughs> nice, Joe, music to my ears, writing and critical mm. thinking. The best thing that? you can get when you're young, in my opinion. So, uh, and getting thrown into social too. How about that? So, so Morgan, um, you're wandering around the offices of the huddle, and suddenly you find what? And how did you kind of pivot into sports? So, yeah. So the huddle was the not-for-profit community arm of an Australian football team, which was not something that I was incredibly aware of. Um, as I am now very familiar with Australian rules football, but I think much of the US um, and much of the world outside of Australia probably isn't. Um, it's the national sport in Australia. It, how I describe it to people who have never seen it, it's a mixture of our football, like NFL, um, rugby and soccer. Um, and so it's huge in Australia, the stadium seats over a hundred thousand. Um, but it's a very unique sport. So the huddle was sitting in the same building as one of the 18, 
teams in the Australian Football League, North Melbourne. Um, and so my time, I was at the huddle full time for six months. And while I was there, I got to know the front office of North Melbourne, as well as kind of the team. Um, and the longer I was working for the huddle, the more I got to know the people in the comms department at North Melbourne. Um, and eventually I started doing a lot of crossover and ended up switching over full-time to work for um, Australian football. So still was had a foot in the door with the huddle, still kept the community aspect. Um, and kind of that's like my background and how I like to think, but eventually switched entirely over to working for this strange sport um, with the mascot that was a kangaroo. So that was kind of how I ended up <laughs> working for AFL. Nice. So talk a little bit about, I mean, first of all, one question is how many communications directors in AFL are women, number one, would you think? Was it a minority? Were you the majority? And then what was the day like? I mean, is it, is it similar to what people would think about on an NFL Sunday? And, and and tell us a little bit about the players and the stories that you came across and, you know, how you kind of ran the whole thing without, you know, having, it's a, it's a really unusual path to take, but it's, it's an amazing one. Yeah, um, I think, I guess to first direct, like uh, communications, I think a lot of the communications directors were men, though a lot of the managers and coordinators were women. Um, but the space in general, like when I first started in the comms media marketing team for my, for the North Melbourne, it was predominantly men still. I think it was me and my manager were women and then everybody else on our team were men. Um, but it was a great team. I think starting it, I just remember walking into the office and meeting my boss, Heath, who was in charge of all the comms and PR for the team. And I was in his office talking to him and I had been like studying all the players with flashcards. I didn't know anything about it, but I was like, I need to like, I need to learn this sport. I need to learn the players. So I was like me being nerdy Middlebury kid. I was like, okay, flashcards, this is how I'm doing it. <laughs> so I knew all the players' names and their positions, but I didn't recognize them. And the captain, my I think first or second day, the captain of the team, Jack Zebel, walks by, pops his head in to say, hey, to my boss. Um, and I was talking to him and I was like, he wasn't wearing his kit. He was just wearing normal clothes. And I was like, oh, what do you do here? Um, so that was my start completely foot in the mouth moment, really embarrassing myself right out of the gate there. Um, so that was just kind of like the first moment, but I learned a lot. I got thrown in the deep end. I think, um, learning the sport, I basically just started going to every training session, um, every practice match, every game, um, and kind of talking to as many people as I could to figure out the rules but also kind of the culture behind it because Australian football is 150 years old and really kind of like similar to like, you know, baseball here, so many of NBA, like it's really part of the culture. And so I wanted to, if I was coming in from an outsider's perspective, representing a team, I wanted to be able to tell the stories um, authentically to kind of North Melbourne area. So it was definitely like some ups and downs and I definitely made a fool of myself. Um, and I stood out because I was one of the few Americans um, working for a very Australian league, but it was definitely very fun. Joe, I'm listening to this thinking you and I and, and Morgan have to pitch Apple TV plus because this could be a Ted Lasso. You, you took it right out of my mind. You know, it's so funny. I'm saying she's Kaylee. Let's talk about Kaylee. She is Kaylee right now. So <laughs> really, I, I, you know, the same thing popped into my head. Like this is such a great, kind of sub episode for for Ted Lasso it's yeah it's or so actually cool. it just 
they could take the Ted Lasso concept and bring it yeah. to different uh, types of people yeah. going to different countries. Yeah. So Morgan from, from, from the U.S. who knows nothing about AFL goes over there and figures out a way to make, start building a career. Like they're, that's the pitch to Tim Cook. And we yeah. just have to then decide how much we're going to charge them. Uh, and if he doesn't take it, we'll go to Amazon and then we'll go to HBO Max. How's that? Yeah. I like and, the plan. And you know, what we'll probably do is we'll get Pete Davidson to, to be our executive producer right. because, you know, right. Jason Sidney has done so well and is probably. Morgan, if we, if we needed to pick an actress to play you, who would you like yeah. that to be? Oh, panic. That's a tough one. I'll have to mull this over and get back to you. People always told me I looked like um, Emma Watson before she, like, came out of puberty, like when she had the really curly hair, like <laughs> in the Harry Potter movies before she was like, so right. I don't know. I'd have to think that. Right. But she, I mean, you went over there it, roughly 22, 23. So Emma is now obviously older than that. I would, I would imagine, mm -hmm. but um, all right, we'll start thinking about that. Cause we're going to need to work with yeah. the casting director uh, yeah. and, and develop the show. I'd um, like to be the actual showrunner, Joe. You you can be you can be the comms guy, okay? I want to yeah, be, I'll be I'll be the well actually yeah, I'll be the uh, the technical producer. We'll right. And then so. and and then um, Morgan can be the, the consulting executive on the show <laughs> to make sure it's accurate. Yeah. All right, cool. Good plan. Morgan, tell us about some of the stories of the athletes. Uh, your favorite your favorite kind of stories and how, how they kind of played out in the in the storytelling for the team. Yeah, so I think one of one of my strengths was that I'm not um, AFL isn't my background. I didn't know the rules. I didn't play it growing up. Um, and so when I approached it, I, I think what stood out to me was the stories. Like what drew me to it was being surrounded by these athletes and getting to know them on a personal level and then being able to share that. So I think one of my first interactions with an athlete was one of our athletes, Majak Daw, um, was the first African player in the AFL. Um, African-Australian. Um, and he, I met him when he was doing work with the huddle um, because he came in and spoke to some of the kids who are doing our program in the not-for-profit. Um, and I remember talking to him and getting to know him and hearing his story and how he grew up and how he came to Australia initially, like coming out of a situation that was pretty difficult. And I remember talking to him and just being blown away that he landed in Australia and used it like it was AFL and other sports that really that's how he made a home in Melbourne. And that to me, I was like, this is exactly like, this is what I love. Like my background is like social justice and like hearing about all these different pathways and inclusion. And I think that to me was kind of how I was like, oh, like sport is a passion for me. Maybe not initially how I thought it would be, but so that like Magic Daw was the first like kind of crossover where I got into that world. And then after that, it was, so many of the people that I was working with were talking to the athletes about their training regimen or um, how they're thinking about the season or strategy or that stuff. But I think though that's obviously very important and I did a lot of that. I think what got me out of bed and got me stoked and excited to work was talking to these athletes about different aspects of their kind of personal journeys. Um, and another one that I think Another one was Trent DeMont, who is another player on the team. He was in the leadership group, um, probably around my age, like young. Um, but he went very, he was very open about talking about mental health, which in Australia yeah. is still more stigmatized than it is even here in the States, in my opinion. Um, again, outsider's opinion. But 
And I just remember talking to him and he was willing to go on record and do interviews and kind of speak about his struggle with mental health and how it's affected him on and off wow. the field. So those are two of the stories that jump mm -hmm. out to me, that, like so very great crossover. Related to that point, can you compare and contrast the sporting culture that you sussed out and ultimately learned in Australia versus what you see here in the US? Yeah, um, I think it's very similar. I think that's like a bit, the amazing thing about sport is that cross-cultural, um, cross-sport, like a fan is a fan. Um, everyone likes showing up, like showing up on game day, seeing the guys around on the field or the girls around the field, whoever it is supporting the team. So I think the, the basics of it felt very familiar to me. Um, I think that the parts that felt different was the access level. I think again, like Australian sport is on a very different scale than US sport, or at least the major big sports in the US. Um, and so I was talking to Joe yesterday and was saying like, I was a junior, like when I started, I was like junior employee, like I was comms coordinator, but I was getting access to our captains, our head coaches. Um, I was on the field on game day doing this interviews, which I don't think I would have the same access level. Right. So I think mm -hmm. not just me, but also the fans, like we do open training sessions. So the weeks leading up to it, or like the days leading up to a game, our players are on the field and the fans are two feet away from them, watching them and able to get their signatures. And so to me, it just felt very community minded. Like it was very grounded in like the local neighborhood where each team was located. Um, and so I haven't worked for a U.S. sports team, so I don't know exactly how one works internally, but I just think it felt more local and more like I could see more parts of it intimately, which I think was a huge privilege as someone starting their sports career, having more access um, to everything. Mm -hmm. can, you, can you give us a sense of the relative level of popularity of the major sports in Australia? You mentioned AFL is the number one sport. They're like the NFL of Australia, it sounds like. Um, what, what are two, three, four, and five, if you happen to know, I'm curious. Yeah. So AFL is huge in Victoria. So it's huge in all of Australia, but it started in Victoria. So it's definitely the far and away the most popular in Victoria, but I'd say cricket is very popular as is rugby. I don't know exactly, but I'm sure they're two and three. Right. Um, I think after that, it kind of peters out like netball is very big in the women's space there, which um, isn't again, a, not a US sport. Um, right. But I went to a bunch of games and seeing those female athletes um, was really great. Um, and then also after that, there's like, so Australia culture has a way more like higher rates of everybody wanting to get involved in team sports. So like for US after college, a lot of people don't play team sport. But in Australia, as an adult, most people do. So really? soccer and basketball are still really popular as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, um, that's interesting. Go ahead, Joe. Um, Morgan, um, your, your career, unfortunately, took a, a left turn when the pandemic, like it did for so many people. And that's, that's really why you left, I believe. But um, Tom, the interesting thing, um, right before she left, we were talking about yesterday, is what fell under her purview was the social media platforms. Mm -hmm. So... Talk about a little bit about that. How did you learn? What was the engagement level like, um, the following? Did it change kind of your scope of work? And what was it like now when you look, you can even compare it to, I don't know, the Yankees or, or you know, what was the level of engagement? And how did that factor into all the decisions that they were making from a, a brand standpoint? Yeah, so when I started working for North, they didn't have um, someone doing 
a specific person dedicated to doing social media. So it just fell under like one of the things that I as coordinator was thrown. Um, and then when we got a women's team, I was doing that as well for a little bit. And I think it was a learning curve for everybody because I'm a young person. I use social media. I think they were like, Morgan's, you know, fluent in it. Let's throw it to her. But I didn't have any training in it. I like, so basically when I started doing it, I was like, oh, just because I like to do this for my own self, my quality does not make me inherently. Um, so that was, it ended up doing like, I ended up watching a lot of YouTube videos and a whole lot of reading about analytics and all of that stuff to figure out what to post, when, to what audience on what channel. So huge learning curve for everyone involved. Um, as well as I think kind of seeing engagement grow for those platforms. It wasn't like compared to, um, like the Yankees, like you said, way lower. Um, but I'll just, I also just think the fan base is way smaller. Um, but it's definitely growing. Um, I think when mm -hmm. I left, so it wasn't, I only did it for maybe the first year and then they brought in outside resources dedicated just to social media as we're seeing most teams starting to take this really seriously um, and learning that they can't throw it to the coordinator or the intern just to do, they need to have dedicated resources with a background in it. So when I left, um, I wasn't doing it anymore. I was just focusing on the PR and the media aspect with someone else overseeing it. Morgan, what mm -hmm. platforms are most popular in the Australian sports scene? social platforms. I'm sure, it's, I'm sure it's changed since I've left. Um, but when I was there, we were looking at Instagram as a, as a main one, as well as we were still using Facebook um, and Snapchat, um, as well as LinkedIn for a bunch of stuff as well. Um, and then TikTok was just kind of coming up when we were, when I was leaving. So that was like kind of a new, a new platform that we were exploring that I'm sure now they are using, but wasn't when I was there. It's funny, Tom. I heard that the Islanders just started a TikTok account. They were the last team. You know, to it's one of the biggest stories. Well, somebody told us that. I can't remember. Of the last 24 hours, uh, from what yeah. I can tell. Crazy. I can't <laughs> wait to access it. I bet you it has thousands and thousands of, of followers yeah. already. But, I mean, I've been um, waiting. Anyway. waiting um, yeah. So uh, one more question, Morgan, for me before you kind of give us, you know, kind of the end of the path there and how you got back. But um, you talked about a sport deep in testosterone and traditions, and although they did start a women's team while you were there, um, what was it like being, um, you know, a woman in kind of an absolutely, you know, you know, macho driven sport, um, treated well, treated, uh, things you had to overcome, uncomfortable situations, you have to mention them, but, um, how were you accepted in that role and how did it play out and what did you learn from it? I think... I learned a lot from it. I think I really found, I found my voice as well as a lot of confidence because I, it was one of those learning curves for me that I was like, oh, I can't assume someone's going to listen to me if I just say something, like if I say something kind of quiet and it's not going to be taken necessarily. And so I think I learned when I was passionate about something to stick to my guns and to kind of mm. really back myself in certain situations, as well as when dealing with the players for media, um, it was building relationships with them in a very professional way that set the clear boundary that like I'm doing my job and my job is for you to do this. And that's part of their job as well. So I think it took it definitely, that was a big growth area for me over six months was learning how to work with the players as well as the coaches and the physios and the trainers um, who are all male for the males men's team at least. Um, but I was treated really well. I'm like, I think as far as teams go, like the North Melbourne Kangaroos um, had a really good culture and really respected 
kind of bringing in different viewpoints um, and kind of respected that being a woman in that environment maybe was a little out of, um, like I stood out um, being American and being a woman and being younger as well. So I definitely felt like I like had to fight to find my voice, but once I did, I felt really good and the team really supported me in that. Richmond so, till we die, Tom. Richmond till we die. Right. So. Um, and then Joe mentioned the, um, the pandemic and how that changed everything for virtually all of us. How did you make your way back to the States and Columbia? Yeah, so the pandemic hit and I was at, we had, our women's team was playing and I was doing, I was managing all of their comms and PR at the time. And it was a Sunday, I was working a game. We didn't have any fans in the stadium, limited media access, but I was there um, and it felt weird, but I still was like, had no idea that what was coming. And so that was on a Sunday. On a Tuesday, the AFL furloughed 80% of their staff across Australia. Um, I was one of them. Um, and so as soon as I got furloughed, I looked at flights and two days after that I was home. So wow. I think it was five days after being in the stadium supporting um, the women's team, um, I was on a flight back to California. Um, kind of my world upended. Um, it was very difficult, but I think in the moment I was heartbroken. I had built a home in Australia. I loved the sport. I loved the team. I loved my job. But I think once I got home, I was looking at returning to Australia. I was looking at working remotely, um, very difficult. Um, and so turned my sights to kind of getting an education and kind of looking at sports management programs um, or MBA programs and Columbia popped up in my research. Um, and I think when I was looking at it, I was thinking that my education at Middlebury was great. It was very broad. It gave me a lot of base skills. I have experience in the industry, but I didn't have a really solid baseline foundation kind of from the educational perspective. And so I looked at the Columbia program and was struck by that. So that's a long way of just saying that's how I've ended up now in New York City studying with both of you. Cool. <laughs> that's great. Hey, um, um, before we get to our last two questions, I had one more. Looking back, looking into American sport now, which, you know, I think that's probably where you, where you want to spend your time, although maybe you'll go back. But what are, what are like two or three best practices you learned there that could be applied to anywhere you go? That's a great question. Um, I think one of the great things about the team that I was working for was we were smaller, but we were very creative. I think because we weren't so restrained by a big hierarchical organization, but I think that allowed us to do a lot of like great storytelling um, mm -hmm. and not be blinded by just focusing on the very like traditional sports specific um, path necessarily. We were able to draw in other perspectives, um, which I think was something that like, as I'm looking for, you know, at teams here and different jobs, I'm like looking for something that allows a little more creativity. And I think that also is what fans want right now. They want to hear stories in different areas besides necessarily the mainstream content. Um, yeah, and I think I think bringing in different viewpoints, hiring diversity um, is another one. I think it's good cool. for the players, it's good for the production. All right, related to that, knowing, thinking about what you learned in with the Australian experience, the key lessons, some of what you just shared with us from that experience, and what you've been exposed to and learned in the program so far, where do you think you might want to go? What part of the business interests you? I think I'm still very interested in storytelling. So PR and media is still, um, I'm still kind of looking in that vein. I think, you know, it's a broad 
broad category in the sports industry as we know, but um, I think that's a big one for me as well as women's sport. I'm still very passionate about, um, but there's a lot out there, which I'm like, that's like, you know, the more I look. So that's kind of broadly what I'm looking at right now for me, but we'll find out. Um, last two questions we like to ask everybody for people who've listened to the show. Um, how do you stay up to date? Do you still, and by the way, do you still stay up to date with everything going on in Australian rules football? Um, and where can people find stuff, which is kind of interesting. And then, you know, you've made two really interesting career pivots, one to go overseas, which was pretty bold. And then the other one to come back here, which was also a little bit of a risk, um, for your peers, for other people who come along, what advice do you give them? So how do you stay up to date? And then what advice do you give people? Yeah. Um, I guess like for me, newsletters and podcasts, um, quick kind of bites of information that I can keep consuming. Um, definitely obviously sports, but as well, I think everything else around it as well. I'm like the sports isn't in a vacuum. So I think continuing to read other news sources is really important, at least for me. Um, also Twitter. Um, I think that's like, we've spoken about this before, but a great way to get um, a lot of different viewpoints um, and informational sources easy. Mm-hmm. Um, I do stay up to date with AFL. The times make it really difficult to watch the games live. So I watch those um, recorded usually um, on the app. Um, and then I think lastly, like I'm still, I'm still learning so much. Um, but I think two of the things I think about are kind of being bold. And if you don't ask for something or if you don't go after something, it's not going to happen. Nothing's going to come to you. So I think I constantly am telling myself, like, go for it. Like, I never thought I'd get a job working for an Australian football team, or I never thought I'd be in New York. Like, I think I just keep reminding myself, like, be bold, go for stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, As well as I just try to surround myself with people that I think are really smart and who will take me seriously um, and try to do whatever they want me to do. So I think that's kind of how I'm channeling kind of like what I've been doing and I'm keep doing and hopefully um, I'll keep landing in spots that I'm inspired by, but still learning. Well, it was a great, I mean, in 20 minutes when Tom, when I first talked to Morgan yesterday, I'm like, wait, what, what is it that you just said you did? You know, yeah, it yeah, was it's uh, a great story. It really is. And we got to learn, which is important. And yeah. And, um, yeah, cool. So any parting thoughts, Coach Richardson? Um, I'm just curious, how might we Americans watch AFL these days? Is it even accessible for us? Yeah, so you can find it. Like the AFL has an app that I use. Um, as And so that's, I think, the main way that I've been watching it while I've been in the States. Um, and then I also encourage if you've never seen a game, at the very least, I just take a Google, check it out, do a little YouTube clips. Um, it's an absurd sport that's so impressive. Um, and once you watch it, you'll be hooked. So a little plug for AFL there. Um, right. cool. kangaroos. Thank you. I hey, um, I've seen, I've seen one or two clips, but I haven't really taken a really I mean, look at it, but I will. It wasn't the legend of like ESPN, like the first event on ESPN was like Australian rules football. I think, I when think it first part launched. of the, uh, part of the, uh, the, the mythology around the beginning of ESPN, well, it did include AFL. I think you're right, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and then Morgan, most importantly, uh, where can people find you? Um, I would generally LinkedIn is what I'm using right now most. Um, Mm. so Morgan Randolph, um, would love Mm. to chat, you know, about AFL or whatever else. So, you know, reach out if you want and I'll be on LinkedIn. Cool. Tom, parting thoughts as we wrap it up. Uh, Morgan, that's, um, 
thank you for spending time with us, Morgan, and um, sharing that. And, and I really love that first bit of advice you gave about being bold. And it's not easy to do, especially when you're younger and you don't necessarily have the confidence to back it up professionally. Uh, but as I like to say to everybody of any age, it's like you have nothing to lose by asking. But if you don't ask, mm -hmm. it's not going to happen. Um, so that really is good advice, whether someone's 25 or, or 35 or, or, or 55. Um, so I'm glad um, you shared that, <clears throat> but appreciate it. And by the way, um, I'm glad to hear that um, when you mentioned your future potential plans, uh, you included, you basically talked about storytelling and you did mention the fact that there's so much going on in storytelling right now. I mean, we're, this is really the golden age of, of content that we're living through in all its different forms, long form stuff on streaming services, <coughs> obviously live events, the short form stuff we talk about a lot in terms of highlights and things like that. And I think this industry sports, especially as we look at the disruption in the way these broadcasts are being done and the sports are being reported, really needs a lot more young people contributing to that disruption. So uh, I think there'll be a ton of opportunities. So good for you. Yep, I agree. And it's great to have you in our program too. So, and by the way, so when we sell the rights to this Apple TV, just remember where it all started too, by the way. Yeah. So. All right, we'll have to, yeah, we do need to work on a separate arrangement between the three of us. Um, <laughs> and we should decide if we want to invite Connor in on this deal, by the way, behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. uh, now, now that he's a social media guru. <laughs> anyway, on that note, by the way, for producing. <laughs> cool. So uh, once again, uh, thanks to our guest, Morgan Randolph, filling us in on the uh, the kangaroos and everything going on in Australian rules football. And we're glad that she's back in our program. Uh, Connor O'Neill and Yash actually were producing this one. Uh, so I'm Joe Favorito for our co-host, Tom Richardson. Thanks for listening. And we will see you down the road and maybe even around the world. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.